Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service. Whether you're here with us in church or at home, thank you so much for joining us. I want to also welcome this morning to our pulpit, the Reverend Dennis Campbell. Dennis was last with us on the 20th of June, and it's a joy, Dennis, that you've come back this morning. So thank you so much for coming back to lead our service. And of course, with him and supporting him is his good wife, Hilary. So Hilary, you two are very welcome this morning. Thank you for joining us. Now, if you manage to look at the loop going around, you'd have seen a slide that said very important dates. And the very important dates are the 10th and the 17th of October and Monday the 18th of October. Now, these dates are important because there are two candidates for our pulpit coming to preach, one on the 10th of October and one on the 17th. And on Monday the 18th will be the congregation meeting when we will make a decision about going further with the process of finding a new minister. So the 10th and the 17th, they'll be preaching, and the 18th is the congregational meeting. So please, please make a note of that in your diary. Now, Sunday Club and Bible class, there's going to be a bit of a change here, because from next Sunday, we're reverting to the arrangements we had prior to COVID, i.e. everyone will come into church, and after the children's address and the second hymn, members of Sunday Club and Bible class will go out to their Sunday Club and their Bible class. So that starts from next Sunday. And of course, they will go to the SPU, where they currently are at the moment, and the, the young ones will certainly stay there until parents call to collect them. Fresh is available in the quiet room, and now harvest services. Next Sunday will be the harvest service. It will be led by the Reverend John Flaherty, who is the clerk of the Arts Presbytery. Uh, you will receive a letter this week about donations, as we always have for Harvest Gift Day. The donations this year will go to property and maintenance, and as ever, 10% will go to a mission, and the mission this year is the World in Need Mission. Two years ago, uh, we were unable to invite you to to, uh, to give us some flowers for the harvest, and we're in the same position now because of COVID. But what we did was we said, look, would you like to make a contribution to Storehouse? So if you have something non-perishable next week that you would like to donate to Storehouse, then we would gratefully receive it and pass it on to Storehouse. Now, we have had some guidance about masks in church, and Session discussed this on Tuesday night. And what we decided was we would follow the guidelines of church house. And the guide, as we have followed all the way, by the way, and the guidelines are these, that whilst you're moving, you wear your mask. You wear it on the way in, you wear it on the way out. When you stand to sing, you wear your mask. But while you're seated, as you are now, you can remove your mask. Those are the guidelines. So the mask can be on and off during the service. You, of course, can choose to wear your mask throughout Nobody's making this a hard and fast rule other than the fact that when you stand or when you're moving, you wear your mask. So the simple way to put it is, if you're standing or moving, you wear your mask. If you're sitting, you have a choice. And the last comment I want to make this morning is tomorrow is Monday, Jim and Kim Day. I'll say no more on that one. You all know what it means. Dennis, thank you again. We look forward to you leading our service. Thank you.
God has revealed his truth to us by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The hymn, Lord of all hopefulness. Let us unite in prayer. Let us pray. Jesus, Savior of the world, grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit of truth so that we may hear and accept your word and being cleansed in mind and renewed in life, we may live as your disciples both in this life and in the world to come. O Lord Jesus Christ, hear the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that we may both understand and know what we need to do, that we may have grace and power to obey your will. Jesus, friend of the distressed, we recall how alongside your acts of healing you declared the forgiveness of sins. Forgive us our blatant and shameless sins, our secret and hidden sins, 
our sins that stem from fear and our sins that stem from pride. Forgive us the sins that are derived from tribal and sectarian prejudice. Forgive us the sins of complacency in which we fail to take sin seriously. Jesus, friend of sinners, forgive us. Enable us to discover that your forgiveness penetrates deep into the very heart of our rebellion against you. Set us free from all that is unworthy of you. Set us free to forgive others and rebuild trust and community spirit. Set us free from the temptation to revisit former sins. Set us free to work and speak and think in your constant service. Now unite us as one family as we join in your prayer saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. The first reading is from the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And this is the Apostles' Prayer for the Church, or perhaps for the churches. Uh, Ephesians may well have been a circular letter sent around several churches in that area of Asia. Ephesians 3 and 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I have a story for the young and for the young at heart. It's short. Long ago, 500 years ago, in the city of Zurich in Switzerland, they had a reformation to change the church. And the leader of the reformation was a man called Zwingli. Not an easy word for us to pronounce. Can we all say the name Zwingli? Z Zwingli, very important gentleman. 
And Zwingli started to change the church for the better, and he said, the first thing we've got to do is take out all the statues from the church building. So they took out all the statues. Then he said, the next thing is that the pictures of the saints. Uh, we, we take them out. So they took out all the pictures, and then he said, uh, plain glass only on the windows. He, he wouldn't have liked this church. And then he said, there's something else. There's to be no singing. And the people said, what? He said, you heard me. No singing. We're changing everything. It's the Reformation. And when we come to a psalm, we'll read it quietly. And the people were shocked and baffled into silence. And they came out of the church at the end of the service and they said, what are we to do? What are we to do without singing? And there was a lady called Hilda and she went over to a gentleman, a businessman called Josep, and she said, Josep, is this going on everywhere? Are all the churches putting a stop to singing? And Josep said, no. Over the mountains in Geneva, they're singing the Psalms. And Hilda said, how do you know? He said, I'm a printer. I make psalm books and I put them into wagons and take them over the mountains and sell them in Geneva and everyone's buying them. They're singing there. Right, said Hilda. And she handed him over a bag of money. She said, next Sunday, you bring me a cartload of psalm books and we'll give them out on the sly and don't Tell Zwingli. And the next Sunday, when the people turned up from church, Hilde and, and Josep were standing there beside the cart and said, here's a sandbook, put it under your coat. Don't show it to Zwingli. And the people sneaked their sandbooks into the church. And the service started and Zwingli said, now we're going to have the hundred psalm. We're going to read it quietly. And Hilda stood up and she started to sing, All people that on earth do dwell. And Zwingli said, no singing. And then Yosef stood up and he sang, Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. And Zwingli said, be quiet. I order you to be quiet. And all the people stood up and sang, him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. And they all sang the psalm, and Zwingli said, All right, you win, you can sing. Where would we be without singing? And without singing in church, because in church we sing our hearts out. In church we let God know from the heart how we love him. Let's give thanks for music and song. Amen. And our song is the name which Jesus gave to God his Father. Abba, Father.
Let us again hear the word of God. The gospel lesson is from John chapter 5. We begin at verse 31. And as so often in the gospel of John, Jesus is in dispute with his opponents. Our Lord is speaking. John 5 and 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have heard his voice. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe? since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Amen. Our prayers for ourselves and others. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of the Church, King of the world, Elder Brother of the Faithful, hear our prayers for a world in need. We pray for liberation. Set us free from the pandemic which threatens community life and church fellowship and wholesome entertainment. Set us free to embrace one another without fear once more. We pray for all who work in healing and caring professions, the doctors, the nurses, the care assistants, the ambulance crews, and all who oversee and support them. May they never grow weary in well-doing. Pray for all who administer our health service. We remember all who have been driven into depression by the pandemic, for all who are downcast at the loss of dear ones and at the loss of normal relationships with friends and neighbors. Assure us that you hold the future and that in your good time 
you will set us free from this plague. We pray for all who work in education. We remember in your presence all institutions of learning, schools, colleges, and all who administer them. May those who teach and those who learn be enabled to do so effectively despite the dangers of this present time. May our centers of learning be enabled to buy the truth and sell it not. We pray for reconciliation. We ask that mutual respect and understanding may yet prevail in our island home, that no one's faith, culture, and identity should ever be denigrated, and that leaders of communities may have the courage to make generous gestures of goodwill. We pray for the people of Afghanistan, now under a fierce and inflexible regime. May they find courage to persevere in hope. We pray for all who keep us safe, for our police force in all its labors to restrain the violent, to protect the vulnerable, to safeguard homes and property, and to rehabilitate those who have lost their way. We bring to your compassionate presence those known to us who are in great need of healing. We name them now in the silence. Lord Jesus Christ, come as healer, come as inspirer, come as judge, come as friend that we may be ever more truly your disciples. Our prayers are offered in simple faith. Amen. To him, the Lord's my shepherd.
The Reverend Caroline Morrow tells of the morning when she met Mary, another pastor, for coffee. They had arranged to meet because a trouble shared is a trouble halved. Both of them were at a low ebb. It so happened that both were trying to cope with disappointments. Both pastors had seen promising young people turn their backs on faith. Both Caroline and Mary were cudgeling their brains as to how they might make the life and words of Jesus heard in the world of television and internet and social media. Mary said something that Caroline never forgot. Today's world is like a swimming pool, she said. Today's world is like a swimming pool where all the noise is coming from the shallow end. The problem they faced is nothing new. Back in New Testament times, the author of Ephesians is struggling to encourage Christian witness in a world that is dominated by everything shallow, superficial, and sordid. Ephesians prays for the church in words that are profound. Ephesians prays that the church will know the love of Christ, the deep love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. In Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we may know the love of Christ. It's a prayer that we believers may be so filled with the love and joy and peace of Christ that living apart from the Lord simply never occurs to us. Now, this prayer stretches language beyond what is normal. The prayer is that we may know the love of Christ which cannot be known. Just think how impossible that prayer is. How can we know what is beyond our knowledge? How can we comprehend what cannot be comprehended? What kind of mental grasping grasps what cannot be grasped? The prayer of Ephesians goes deep beneath the surface of our knowledge. It demands to be explored and explained and expounded. This prayer provokes us to ask, in a Christian context, what does it mean to have this impossible knowledge, to know what cannot be known? Well, the world is eager to answer our question by assuring us that this verse is nonsense. Mere religious noise devoid of meaning. The world refuses to consider that there may be truth in anything that is tainted by God and Jesus, and Bible, and church. In tones of voice that are disdainful, dismissive, and derisive, modern-day cynics point out that the con there's contradiction in this verse and many others like it. What on earth is knowledge that goes beyond knowledge? They sneer. There is no such thing. They declare it to be absurd, like so much else in our holy book. They reject any attempt to make sense of the nonsense that they consider faith to be. Yes, we do live in a world which is like a swimming pool with all the noise coming from the shallow end. The world is in a hurry and it's no time to sit quietly in a building 
dedicated to divine truth and to call on one whose response will never be instant. Just look at so much of the modern art. It's full of images scrawled and daubed in a few minutes without painstaking care. Just look at so much of modern architecture. It consists of buildings of glass, steel, and concrete thrown up at high speed with no sense of permanence and which never make anyone feel at home. Just read so much of modern poetry. The words seem to have been flung at the page without rhyme or reason and without shape or form. In the Old Testament story, Jacob wrestles with the angel and tells him, I will not let you go until you bless me. The world of this generation issues a demand to all so-called angels, unless you bless me right this minute, I'm leaving. Knowledge beyond knowledge is absurd, they sneer. Obviously absurd, like all the rest of this religious gobbledygook. But supposing we resist the cynics, suppose we spend quality time with the author of Ephesians, what then? Reading the New Testament, we encounter a church under threat of extinction. As we turn the pages of the Gospels and the Epistles, we meet communities uncertain of their survival. Indeed, it is this crisis, this danger of the loss of everything, that causes the apostles to put pen to paper in the first place and produce that amazing collection of books that we call the New Testament. Just think of the pressure that the first Christians are under from a hostile world. What is their knowledge of Christ when compared with the knowledge of the many more successful religions of the Roman Empire? Surely Christians are an insignificant group with a rather distasteful set of beliefs. Surely their allegiance to a crucified peasant in an obscure corner of the empire is too pitiful to flourish. The great empire of Rome, with its great official religion, dominates the life of everyone. The rituals of official religion take place in grand temples of marble lined with impressive statues of the gods who are so lofty and so remote. This religion will surely swat Christianity as the emperor slaves swat any fly impudent enough to enter the presence of the all-powerful tyrant. The archaeologist John Romer made a series of documentary films about the Bible. He visited the Chester Beatty Museum in Dublin, which has a most impressive collection of writings from the first century after Christ. He showed the library's collection of early Christian writings, fragments of the Gospels and the Epistles, and these Christian writings all fitted into a small table in front of him. And then Romer turned to the literature of the pagan world at that time. The Chester Beatty's library's collection of pagan writings covered a table four times bigger than that of their Christian fragments. 
This bore witness to the, how desperate was the battle of the early church to survive. They bore witness to Christ amid overwhelming hostility, contempt, and indifference. How can the religion of Christ endure in such a world? How can faith prevail in such a hostile climate? The answer of Ephesians is go deeper. Ephesians insists that Christ gives us a knowledge of his love that goes deep, astonishingly deep. The love of Christ is so intense that it takes us to depths of knowledge beyond superficial awareness. Loved by Christ, we find ourselves abandoning the shallow end of the pool for the depths. Loved by Christ, we become dissatisfied by other more superficial loves. Loved by Christ, we allow our language to be stretched so that to our astonishment, we begin to know what is beyond knowing. Now the prayer of Ephesians that we may know the love of Christ goes beyond knowledge, is not a contradiction. It's a paradox. A paradox is a statement that seems to be absurd, that contains a contradiction. But when you go deeper, you discover that it is true. The Bible's always encouraging us to meet God in the depths of our being and in the depths of the world, and often the Bible speaks of faith as a paradox. Just look at the sayings of our Lord. Jesus tells his friends, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. That's a paradox. Jesus tells his friends, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. That's two paradoxes. And Jesus' whole life and ministry is one great paradox after another. The one who was with God at the beginning beyond time is born into human time in poverty in a lowly cattle shed. The one who is a sinless son of God goes to the river Jordan to undergo a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. The one who is pure and unspotted reaches out his healing touch to the foul, contaminated skin of a leper. The one who is crowned king of the universe allows himself to be crowned with thorns. The one who has abolished death submits to death even the humiliating death of crucifixion. The gospel of Christ is full of paradox. Why else can we go deep? Why else can we arrive at the knowledge which is beyond knowledge? The Russian novelist Andrei Makine begins his novel A Life's Music by painting a scene which is very true to life. A large group of people are stranded on a railway station platform somewhere in the Ural Mountains in the heart of the heartless Soviet Union. The train has been delayed. Everything that makes life function properly for Soviet citizens is always delayed. 
For six decades, the communist empire has enforced its dreary, gray, pointless ideals on long-suffering people who have long ago abandoned hope and embraced cynicism. On the bleak railway platform, it is three o'clock in the morning. It is dark. It is snowing. It is bitterly cold. Everyone is despairing and knows despair as a way of life. And then inexplicably, in a building nearby, someone is playing a piano. The chords are beautiful and touching. And the scene on the dreary platform is transformed. Of course, everything is still miserable. The heartless Soviet empire is still plowing ahead with its disregard for humanity. But the music changes everything. McKinney writes, Suddenly, everything is illuminated by a truth that has no need of words. Suddenly, everything is illuminated by a truth that has no need of words. It's a moment which Christians recognize. Such moments are very close to what it means to be grasped by Jesus Christ and to know his love which is beyond knowing. Like unexpected music, Christ speaks. He says evil does not have the last word. Cynicism does not have the last word. Despair does not have the last word. This is the Lord's doing and is wondrous in our eyes. The Reverend Caroline Morrow tells of the morning when she met Mary, another pastor, for coffee. Both of them were at a low ebb. It so happened that both were trying to cope with disappointments. Mary said something that Caroline never forgot. Today's world is like a swimming pool with all the noise coming from the shallow end. So what can we do, asked Caroline, near to despair? Mary was not without hope. We have to go deeper, she said. We have to stay at the deep end. That's where the truth dwells. Go deeper, Church of Christ. Seek the profound depths. Wait in expectation. Wait for the knowledge which is beyond knowledge. The love of Christ will come upon you. It will surely come. It will surely come. It will surely come. Amen. The hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
mercy and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.